Okay, so uh, Jordan, uh, Ken, hello. Uh, it's it's good to good to see you guys again. Yeah, Ken, uh, you want to take a seat here? We have something to talk to you about. Yep, here I am. So, Ken, uh, you might be wondering why we called this meeting. Um, and I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed about certain uh, events that have been transpiring over the last couple of days. You've been wilding out on Twitter, my friend, and it's causing a, it's causing us a huge headache. Mm -hmm. Are you? What do you have to say for the, yourself about this? Because this has Wait. been a crazy weekend. We've been dealing with all kinds of phone calls, emails, voicemails, texts, tweets. Wait, I have been wilding out. These are, you know, presumably Elon Musk fans that are, uh, you know, flooding your emails yeah. and voicemails and things. I'm getting that as well. But wouldn't that be them wilding out? And I'm just, you know, sitting there posting a newsworthy photo that is real. Ken, look, we don't want to tell you what you can and can't say, because here we value, you know, freedom of speech and free press and free expression. Like, the marketplace of us, ideas. Yeah. 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 We don't want to like seem like we're we're coming across and telling you what you can and can't tweet because we're not like let's let, let, that's the baseline we're operating from here you know because we value all those things all those ideas but you can't be critical of elon musk he is our number one investor like we got the seed money yeah. to start this from elon musk you can't think this delicious lunch spread is coming from i mean i didn't pay for this mm -hmm. yeah. Wait, you you guys got seed money from elon musk and you didn't tell me He's one of the 200 richest people in the world. How are you supposed to conduct a news operation being uh, subordinate to someone like that? Well, again, we are the hosts of the, the podcast, so I feel like we, we didn't can... really expect any conflicts of interest. You know, just like, I'm sure he's just giving us money out of the generosity of his heart. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and I don't want to overstep. I, you know, appreciate your guys being um, straightforward about this, but, uh, you know, just Lane Maxwell had just been arrested. It seemed like a newsworthy photo that I thought, you know, would provide the public with insight into, you know, how high society operates. Yeah, okay, uh, like I well, didn't really know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, you're you're stepping out of line again here, Ken, because you're jumping to all kinds of conclusions about this photo. You keep talking about this photo, you're tweeting it. And I mean, Elon explained himself, and it's it's a complete coincidence. He was photobombed at one event by someone, you know, he just he gets takes pictures with people all the time, thousands of pictures. He just thought it was some some lady, you know, pops up, takes a little picture. What's wrong with that? I mean, that's not a crime. Well, She's just yeah, a fan. and if it was just if it was just the photo, you know, I I wouldn't have uh, tweeted that out because yeah, he does meet a lot of people. Um, he's a famous person, but it's not just the photo. Uh, he and his then wife attended um, one of Epstein's homes uh, for a party, and this was after Epstein had been. Uh, convicted of trafficking minors. Oh boy! So uh, you know this is just one of several uh, instances where you know there at least appears to be a attitude of uh, tolerance, at least of uh, that culture, uh, whether or not he himself engages in that kind of thing. I don't know if you can draw conclusions from that either. No, man. it's not like it's not like they were close. It wasn't like Epstein got a private tour of SpaceX or something like that. But that, that literally that, that was reported to have happened by. Um, uh, by Business Insider. I mean, granted, I mean, Musk you can't draw conclusions that, from getting a tour of SpaceX. Yeah. Okay. Well, just because he went to just because he went to dinner parties at Epstein's house, allegedly met with him on many occasions, allowed allowed him to tour his his space facility. This is all just 
It's just like a random series of coincidences, man. I don't so I don't see why you're you're spinning this conspiracy theory about it. It's it's causing us this huge problem. Well, again, I apologize. I don't you know want to cause headaches, but this was a you know international news story. The public wants to understand you know who is Maxwell. What you know what? How does this? How has she been permitted to operate in you know the very privileged pockets of um, the the country? But um, it's not even just that. There's Elon Musk's brother named Kimball Musk. Uh, he was reportedly set up with a girlfriend by Jeffrey Epstein. Um, so yet another example. Again, you know this is a this is a whole range of um, evidence of you know uh, association here that I, I I do think is is newsworthy. It's not just the photo. Look, Elon Musk is the most brilliant inventor alive. And I yes. think this really just reeks of desperation on your part because you're just, Agreed. as someone who's far to the left, you just hate seeing successful businessmen. That's it, yeah. isn't it, Ken? Yeah, because, listen, Elon Musk, he, he's a representative of not just not just the American dream, but the dream of capitalism. Okay, when I look at Elon Musk, I see someone that reminds me that anyone, any one of us can take our parents' uh, apartheid-era emerald mine money and bring it to the United States immediately after the end of apartheid, which is, again, a complete coincidence, uh, make an investment using also $7 billion of public funds to create these this wonderful, amazing company where he's doing all these wonderful things, creating this, this new, exciting product for everyone, great for the environment. And it's just a reminder that any one of us uh, can do this kind of stuff if we just use, if we have hard work, and we set our minds to it. That's what Elon Musk represents to me. And when you when you spin these kind of conspiracy theories, it really just, you know, it makes me sad first of all, and uh, you know, it uh, it it disparages this really great man, this great man that's trying to do the best he can amid the circumstances, and uh, frankly, just makes everyone in this in the Insurgents LLC, all the board members, all of the staff, the interns, Judy makes all of us look uh, really bad. So we're going to need you to knock it off. And to be honest, Ken, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you are banned from the show now. This is We have, we have no choice here. Wait, wait, no, I wasn't even... Do I get a warning? I, you know, I don't take away that he's you know clearly one of the richest people on the planet. He's created a very successful company. That's all perfectly true. Um, I just didn't know that he was an investor because you, know, you guys haven't exactly been transparent about um, where your money is coming from. So I, I don't see how I'm supposed to know about that. Ken, Ken, you're banned from the show, and believe me, this hurts us more than it hurts you. So many people leave comments and tweet us about the band, and like even reply to Ken's tweets. I get this stuff. About the <laughs> Did I tell you about how our PR person was like, "Oh no, you got you had a falling out with Jordan." I was like, "Wait, what?" She's like, "Someone." She's like, "Look, I saw this. Someone emailed us about how they were sorry about the band," and she was dead serious. I was like, "Oh no, it's a bit," and she's like, "She's like, are you sure about that?" It's a bit. It, okay. And she's like, "It's just," sad. and she went into this thing about how it's sad, how like um, dynamic, how how much flux there is in media of friendships. And she's like, don't worry. She's like, it's happened to me too. So now people just get mad at each other. <laughs> and it, nice. she wasn't joking though. I was like, no dude, it's seriously a bit. And she <laughs> finally, she understood. Cause I sent her some of the like memes of it. And she was like, Oh, okay. But she thought I was like in denial about it. and was reassuring me that, that, well, you know, in careers, there are ups and downs to that, but yeah. <laughs> God, that's so funny. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> I love the no Ken zone. That's so good. Who was, yeah. was that Rob or uh, Jordan? Was that you who came up with that? Rob. I think it was a mute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no well, there's people, there's people out there that are just one. They wanted a Ken free internet experience. <laughs> the and that's, that's the only place online where that's offered. And you sign up for the insurgents.substack.com. You get access to the, the no Ken zone. And you, you just you're free of the of the toxicity and negativity. <laughs> toxicity. I remember when I was a kid, we had a little area in the playground that was called it was labeled peanut free zone for the kids with nut allergies. <laughs> and that's what I imagine the Ken free zone being. Yeah, and with an allergic reaction to Ken. Or it's in like that Simpsons episode where like there is people named Ken in there, just like not that one Ken that was the one. Someone came running in the other day. It's like, oh no, I've just had the worst experience. I was just listening to another podcast and Ken was the guest. It's yeah. so terrible. Like, and, and there was like a support group like building in there. <laughs> yes, you guys it's okay, do- you're safe. You're safe now. Yeah. You guys should do this. This is a safe the, space. The post Ken experience affinity group, and then it's like you just are like unpacking traumas like a group therapy group. <laughs> yeah. Ken informed trauma. <laughs> Elon Elon Musk is an f- open invitation to join this, by the way, because mm-hmm. he did seem like he was quite uh, upset at a number of points this weekend. Uh, and I was, what, can you just, did you want to talk about that, about uh, from your end, what that looked like? I, it was pretty amusing to see you get into like, a online feud with one of the most powerful men in America and the world. Yeah, was I was this... kind of, I was kind of part of the feud. I was like, if it was like a schoolyard thing, I was like your shitty friend in the background being like, yeah, fuck you in the background. <laughs> get it, fight, fight, <laughs> get him, fight, get fight. Him, <laughs> but what was it from your perspective? What was that like though? Yeah, it was very strange because, um, you know, I had been critical of Musk um, for some time uh, as being an embodiment, I think, of this move towards privatizing things that, you know, had traditionally been uh, government run, that is space exploration, things like that. Um, and, you know, relying on public resources to advance his business interests um, in, a, in a way that I, I don't think a lot of the public is is made aware of um, in, his, in his telling of his background. And so, you know, when Ghislaine Maxwell got arrested, um, it seemed newsworthy to just draw attention to the fact that there is a photo of them posing next to each other at a party. And, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, that is one of several um, associations that uh, Musk had with uh, Jeffrey Epstein world. Uh, So, you know, I was as surprised as anyone when uh, Musk responded to it, because I can't have been the first person to um, have pointed this out. Well, you you organized the targeted harassment campaign, mm -hmm. though. That's the... That's the key I, difference. I don't. I have. I never condone harassment. I've. I've uh, pushed. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, discussion of a uh, newsworthy uh, item that I, I thought was like illustrative. I mean, people are saying, you know, oh, this is a dunk. This is, a, and it's kind of like, well, it's sort of to me an, a, an illustration of how high society functions and this kind of stuff that they, uh, at the very least, tolerate in in their in their midst. Um, that that tells a very different story than than what we're usually uh, made to think of, of billionaires and 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 you know their supposed greatness. Um, and what was amazing was uh, in the public response, I ended up actually learning a lot of stuff that I didn't know uh, about his about his background. Well, and that's that's something interesting too that I wanted to bring up because that was one thing that I saw people kind of playing devil's advocate about and just being like, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to burst her conspiracy bubble here, but she was a socialite. She's at wealthy people parties all the time. She's taking pictures with all kinds of people. I mean, just because they're in a picture with Ghislaine Maxwell doesn't mean that there's some bigger connection, but it's like, yeah, she was a a socialite attending all these parties with rich people 
after she was implicated in a massive right. criminal conspiracy. Right. And that's uh, the point. I'm not saying, you know, um, Elon Musk is the same as Jeffrey Epstein or Elon Musk is doing the same things as Jeffrey Epstein. The, the you know, principal point here, I think, the salient point is that there well, we are extraordinarily rich people that, that are willing to tolerate people who do, do do those things being around them. And that in itself, I think, is is, is newsworthy and tells a different story about, you know, rich people and, and the way they conduct themselves than, than what the general public hears. Yeah, those tweets from the former Reddit or the Reddit person who's now like a, a executive there yeah. uh, when she was younger talked about how uh, Ghislaine came to one of their parties and uh, she was like, yeah, we all knew kind of what this what the right. story was um but no one seemed to care and it like, <laughs> kind of reflects just like kind of the open secret about them right. like uh, epstein and her and how they all kind of like were aware of it and in in many cases just complicit in it and part of it but other at least at the very least just about everyone in those in that world was aware of it and did nothing about it yeah, yeah and, and I respect it reminds me of Harvey Weinstein, actually. Like, it, that's the same kind of thing. I mean, he, that yeah. his behavior was was well known for people that were involved in that world. And it went on for years and years. And it didn't stop his connections with, like, big business. It didn't stop his connections with the Democratic Party and the Clintons. And uh, that's, the, like you said, it points out that there are certain things that seem to get tolerated at that level of society. Um that is kind of perplexing when you start to unpack that and realize that again with with Maxwell and Epstein they continued to run in those circles and attend these parties and attend these meetings well after he was you know, <laughs> arrested and charged with this like heinous crime everyone knew about this uh, but mm-hmm. for some reason it didn't stop people from still hanging out with him and taking his money and yeah. uh, these people are now wondering like why why am I implicated in all this? It's like well maybe it's like <laughs> because you're hanging out with like a known child sex trafficker is probably the main reason. Yeah, I suppose it'd be one <laughs> thing if you know this stuff had happened prior to um, Epstein's being indicted. I mean that'd still be a debate in itself because probably a lot of people still you know knew what was up. But for this to happen after that, and these are not ordinary people. These this is not your neighbor. These are you know these these types of individuals in high society are extraordinarily um, concerned about their image. And about their associations, they have PR teams. I find it very hard to believe that um, that they weren't aware of you know what these types of associations might mean. And I come to this from the national security world, where you know I have a lot of sources in the FBI, the DoD, so on and so forth. Um, it's kind of a bit of a misnomer thinking of the FBI as a crime-fighting organization, although that's part of its ta- that's part of its role. A, a, a really big part of its role is doing what's called counterintelligence. So anticipating threats, not just to heads of state in our own government, but also VIPs, uh, CEOs of major corporations um, like Elon Musk, um, and trying to keep them abreast of and aware of uh, potential threats that, that could lead to, for example, industrial espionage or blackmail, things like that, because they don't want you know foreign countries stealing um, not just our government secrets, but our um, corporate secrets as well. And so, you know, all that being the case, I'd be very surprised if he wasn't warned or uh, notified um, of, you know, like what kind of who Epstein was and and, and what that world meant. I think it's very hard to believe that he he was naive to it. Totally. But could you talk about like a little bit (laughs) as it escalated, like what was going through your mind uh, as he started like singling you out and like set calling you uh, Ken Clip. Clip Einstein, which That's I think actually is pretty more of a compliment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you should go with that. Lean into that one. Uh, but the, the other part, the douche around town, maybe not so much on that one. Yeah. Yeah, the Einstein thing was weird because from his world, which I assume his life is just sort of 
consuming I fucking love science memes from like <laughs> yes. 12 years ago on yeah. Facebook. You think Einstein is like the highest exemplar of like you know what he thinks of as a as a good person or whatever. So I didn't quite understand that as a dunk. It was very Well maybe it's like the kind it's of ironic. Like the, the schoolyard, yeah, the schoolyard inside. Yeah, okay, inside. Einstein. Like, oh, okay, yeah. okay, Einstein, yeah, Brainiac, yeah. like that kind of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. But like there, was no, did, it, there was no irony in the kind of, yeah, you're right, but there was no punchline in the delivery, so it didn't come off like that. And then the second well, one I think it just went over your head because he's <laughs> yeah. the smartest, yeah. he's he's the smartest man a, alive. Yeah, let's give him some credit here. <laughs> yeah, he's like Jonathan Swift, but for uh, corporate tycoons. <laughs> he's just operating but on a level Reddit. that we can't even, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there was that, and then the other one, which was a more obvious, um, you know, swipe. What was the what was the second tweet again? You just mentioned it. Well, Douche, I was, yeah, I was going to say that, town? Oh, yeah, yeah, there was that, town. and then then the, the meme because I was saying he's like he's so obsessed with memes. Oh, and he, dude, the Simpson meme. But like that was a very weak. Oh, you know, he dude. didn't even like take yeah, the time he, to so, cut out the actual head. It was very sloppy. He didn't even do it. He paste. stole it from one of his fans. <laughs> one of his fans replied with that, and which something he always does is he takes memes, doesn't even credit this guy who's some you know Musk acolyte. He probably loved it. Yeah, it was the it was the it was the meme of um, Ralph Wiggum. And, you know, he's saying, like, I'm helping, but it's like, I'm a journalist. And he responds with that. And it's like, dude, that meme is from, like, 10 years ago. He's operating on a Ben Shapiro level of, like, meme. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> meme you know how is. fucking satisfied he was probably when he saw that? Like, oh, oh my God. God. Oh, yeah. yeah. God. It's yeah. I've got his kryptonite right here. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Clementine is finished. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was honestly embarrassing. I was just like, dude, why are you phoning this? And you have an army. Can't you find... Like farm out? Can't he do like Wendy's? Like hire the Wendy's guy or something and come up? I'm not saying that'd be great, but it'd be something. <laughs> like it's like he's micromanaging his burns when sir it, Wendy's woman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it was just very phoned in and, and kind of embarrassing. Um, but I was amazed because all of this, by he the way, have anyone on staff with Photoshop? Right, and yeah, it was cropped really poorly too. Um, not a good I mean, meme. Yeah. Your guys' fans have significantly better, obviously they're funnier memes, but even just the Photoshop <laughs> skills are much better yeah. than what this like guy who's one of the 200 richest people on the planet can can pull together, which is pretty embarrassing. Well, I guess that says something about who you inspire. Then it was funny because he pulled the whole like uh, holier than thou, like please report anyone that's that's participating in the, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the fuck he said. Yeah, and by the way, this is the guy who said um, not very long ago, let's cancel cancel culture. Yeah. You know, like, we shouldn't be canceling people for the things they do and say, oh, by the way, someone made fun of me, suspend this man. Yeah, exactly. Did you, uh, you hear from any of the, any of the, the Musk fans? Any emails oh, or? Them. Emails, <laughs> voicemails, um, every, virtually every member of my family that's online got contacted by them, friends Come related on. to my family members, which Don't is harass like comes... Ken's sweet family members. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, they're civilians. They did not enlist. Yeah, they have they're nothing not, to do with this. They're not They're not labeled, they're not combatants in the uh, online wars that we've all si- signed up for. Um, but, you know, that all comes with the territory. It's irritating. But, you know, I have to say, I, I had a joke a few days ago. It was like, um, you know, Elon, Elon Musk is a megachurch pastor for atheists, but that's not quite right. He's more like He's like the he's like the Muqtada El Seder for for Reddit for Reddit atheists, <laughs> because the devotion that he commands is it's really he is a spiritual figure. And I'm not joking when I say this. I think he is a figure of spiritual significance to a certain type of um, online kind of libertarian type. Yeah. Well, I was, Ken and you and I were talking earlier. I think a lot of people see him as like they're like the Tony Stark of the of the real world. Yeah. 
Well, because that's the marketing campaign that they believe in, you know? Oh, yeah. And even, like, the transformation, it's, like, what a lot of people who probably admire him, they might see themselves in, like, pre-Tesla and pre-SpaceX Elon Musk. You know that iconic photo of him, like, leaning over the computer. He's balding at, like, 22 or whatever. (laughs) He looks pale. He's, like, like like Millhouse. Yeah, Yeah, he just looks like a total fucking creep, like an absolute (laughs) loser. And then he's, like, transformed himself. He's got hair suddenly. He's got a billionaire. He's got a goth GF. Like, he is their, like, their cool Tony Stark. He's got, like, he's, like, the billionaire playboy with with the tech company, you know? A lot of people just admire that because they can't identify with that. Like they want to be that so bad, and they never will be. It's really sad for them. But like to, as as that manifests in fandom, it's harassment of Ken's mom. Cool, <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Literally. Well, and also they worship him because he's positioned himself as this like savior of humanity. It's not just that he's in charge of a tech company, yeah. but he's you know he's c- producing this incredible technology right. that's going to save us from right. climate crisis. Even though that's not actually what is happening. This whole electric vehicle. Scam is basically just a mirage to like con- continue like the car culture that's fucking destroying the planet. All his investments in this like completely fake hyperloop that does not exist and will never exist and is just a shittier subway. Yeah, it won't be for you. It's just a shittier public transit system. When uh, if he was just taking all this resources and funding and pumping it into public transit, he actually might have a a like real impact and a genuine impact on the environment and on our society. But he doesn't want to have to rub elbows with the pores so it's all based on this kind of bullshit libertarian individualism with the and electric he's cars, convinced people that he's this like savior figure yeah I've, this is so baffling to me so what is the plan everyone is just gonna suddenly be able to afford a tesla they'll have like eighty thousand dollars <laughs> or how much ever it costs yes and then in addition to that where where do you think the electricity is coming from you realize yeah. electricity can be generated from coal and uh you know fossil fuels just like anything else so that doesn't really it just kind of you know, it could be an improvement as part of like a larger structural response, but um, you know, alone, I, I don't really see how it changes anything. Also, in mass, the batteries after they're spent, right. then exactly. what? <laughs> Where those yeah. go? And also, uh, in order to make the batteries, we have to overthrow uh, Latin American countries and, uh, and uh-huh. seize all their lithium uh, mines and and exports and all that stuff. Just cool, a, just cool nightmare. guy, and uh, yeah, pretty wild. It was a pretty wild weekend. Yeah, and I, I should note, all this was happening during July 4th. I mean, it got to the point I had to disappear <laughs> for several hours because I just had to talk to my family. I wanted to talk to my family. And, he, yeah. you know, he has, I think he has a newborn from, wasn't the baby born literally early this year? So I'm thinking, yep. like... Like a month or two ago. Yeah, it's like this <laughs> extraordinarily wealthy mega billionaire. And it's like, I, I you know, I've got stuff I have to do. I'll be right back. And he's still on there. I come back and see he's still... It's like, dude, you have a kid? Don't you have a family that you want to go see or something? And like, is this what yeah. you want to... This is where you, know? you want to spend your time. Yeah. I guess that's flattering, Ken. Yeah. yeah you occupied that much... Maybe he just wants to be friends. Bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll, I'm going to I'm gonna um, extend the olive branch and see if we can... Maybe we can squash the beef here on the show. Yeah, I think something. we should. We should yeah, do that. That'd be lovely. Yeah. Anyway, just to um, just to cl- close out talking about this, I definitely think, especially given his statements on coronavirus about how it was, you know, going to be down to nothing uh, by the end of what did he say? By the end of April, I think was what he said, something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that yeah. was the funniest thing is he's like, I'm a journalist, and it's like, it's funny coming from someone who's like, what is he? He thinks he's some science genius or something, and he's repeatedly said, uh, you know, downplayed the threats of Corona to an absolutely ludicrous Trumpian degree, even. Um, yeah. Never apologized for it, you know. Called for his factory being opened in the middle of all this. 
Um, I mean, yeah. I can't think of a less kind of science-based dude than yeah. this and, person. And definitely the guy that we want to uh, oversee the, the human colony on another planet. Uh, <laughs> definitely. the That's not going to... Well, we need a sequel and a disaster to, at all. Uh, we always, I always wanted a um, Lord of the Flies sequel, so I guess we'll get that. <laughs> yeah, in space. Okay, well, I guess that's enough about Elon Musk. We're glad you're still think, alive, Ken. Yeah, we're glad you're alive. We hope your family's doing okay from getting harassed by uh, uh, weird randos. And um, we think, you know, we like to joke around in here, but I do think you won the beef. So congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Congrats on that. So should we um, do some reviews in feedback corner oh boy all right let's let's go to feedback corner okay so we're back it's feedback corner it rapidly becoming my least favorite segment on the show uh we've got another bunch of reviews to read i guess I didn't really want to do this. Jordan kind of insisted, but whatever. So let's let's get to the reviews of the show that I love to read. Um, Jordan, you want to you want to go ahead with the first one? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, this that the review is titled "We Stand a King," and in parentheses it says Elon. Already off to a bad start. Love hmm. Rob and Justin's uh, okay, hard hitting and fiscally sensible approach to the events and ideas we all know and love so much. But I think it's only fair that they re-re-ban friggin' Clip Einstein for the blatant muscophobia yeah. he's been showing on Twitter. Pretty sad that he's so jealous of a successful and epic entrepreneur that he has to lash out against Elon like that. Given the circumstances, I think a quadruple lifetime ban would be warranted. What has Ken ever disrupted? It's a good point. Is it, this is becoming like the American justice system where you're getting like a 790-year life sentence <laughs> yeah. for like a crime. Yeah, exactly. Seven, yeah, seven, seven consecutive you gotta life be sentences. Sure. You got to be sure that it's punitive enough. <laughs> okay, here's the next review from, from Big underscore Chungus. It says, good show, but sometimes I have difficulty understanding what Bobby is saying due to his heavy Canadian accent. I agree. Wait, you go by Bobby now? He does. No, I don't yeah. go by Bobby. No, so is- that's not my name. And I don't have an accent. You two have accents, okay? Mm-hmm. My accent, I just... I, <laughs> that's completely normal. So. Wait, well, where is the LLC based for your, for um, the show? Well, it's I a multinational be- company. It's, oh, it's, so you guys you have fingers in, in every... In the cloud, yeah. okay jordan you got another one here let's let's get on with this uh i like this one great political content and soft voices (laughs) (laughs) wow i love this podcast the hosts ron and jeremy i liked let me me rephrase i liked this one until just now those are very so. have very soft and sweet voices that are a welcome respite from the loud people that usually have podcasts. Microphones amplify your voice. Ron and Jeremy really seem to understand that. <laughs> the political discussion is very smart, and I have learned many things, such as where Kentucky is located. <laughs> the only drawback is sometimes they have a guest named Ken Clippers, and he is quite incendiary. But also still quiet, which is nice. Five stars. 
wait, I'm an incendiary. Come on here and you guys abuse me for like 15 minutes <laughs> and then I leave. Well, I mean, we at the onset, we talked about how you upset our, our yeah. seed. You do know what you did. So, so let's well, I didn't know, know he was an investor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. I get in trouble for things I was never apprised of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, next time you just need to ask us before you pick fights with any, any powerful tech billionaires. Just if you just clear it with us ahead of time. We're not trying to yeah. tell you what you can and can't tweet. Just if you're ever unsure, just ask. Yeah. That's the main That's the main thing. All right. So this next review says, okay, the title of the review is Pod Save America. This is a fantastic show. I can't believe former Obama staffers actually got together to make a podcast. John Favreau is probably my favorite but everyone is really knowledgeable. I like how objective they are and definitely don't take any sides. Other podcasts like The Insmergence, created and solely hosted by Ken Klippenstein, have a lot to learn about podcasting. So that seems to be some kind of mistake. I, I, think, that was, I think they wanted to put that on yeah. um, I, one of the crooked I wanted, media shows. Yeah. I want the record show. I want to call it The Insurgence. It was going to be a fishing show about Wisconsin <laughs> fisheries. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the spinoff. We're gonna have a gaming spinoff and a, a fishing exclusive. <laughs> yeah. the whole a hunting one. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, you mean to round it out with the this this God Jorb one? Uh, God Jorb, five stars. Love this podcast about Bip, Clip and Zip, Jean Jacques Rousseau and Scotty <laughs> Pippen are smart at the beginning. But then they hit their heads on a Wurlitzer and parody leftists. Safe for work. Five stars. I like that one. <laughs> it's it's hard to get too upset at Bip Clip and Zip. That's very clever. <laughs> Bip Clip and Zip is great. I think that's actually the the villain in Back to the Future too. <laughs> exactly. He's got to watch out with that that sports almanac. You want to keep it away from Bip. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough of the reviews. Uh, I'm tired of reading them. I'm tired of this segment. Uh, I don't find these funny anymore. It's upsetting to me to, to read these. I wish everyone would just cut it out. I don't know how much more clear I can be about this. You know, we've had a good laugh about the you know, the fake names and all that stuff. Whatever. It's it's The bit is finished to me. I, I wish we could move past it. So, again, if you'd like to review the show, please go ahead. We encourage you to do so on Apple Podcasts. I would like for people to just cut this out, though, because I don't enjoy it. And I don't find it funny. And it, in many cases, it is hurtful as well. Yeah, of course. Um, well, let's sorry. Get I to, just, I was, that's I understand. A rough Take day all the time. And, you need. Uh, yeah. It's the, the different names and stuff. It's I would just would appreciate if people just called us our regular names. I mean, I don't think that's too much to ask, but, you know, whatever. OK, um, <clears throat> so uh, you can leave a review again. Apple Podcasts. We generally appreciate it. Uh, you can also subscribe over the, at theinsurgents.substack.com. You can leave us a voicemail. That's going to be in the show notes. Uh, we're going to we'll play some voicemails in the next couple of episodes. We've been neglecting the voicemails recently. And uh, that's all. We didn't even introduce our guest. That was rude. We didn't even say he was coming on the show. Can you believe we did that? did not. No, we haven't. Yeah. Anyway, but- it's Hassan Piker, friend of the show. Hassan will be joining the show in just a little bit. I'm glad we talked to... Uh, to you, Ken, about uh, Elon Musk and Maxwell and Ghislaine Maxwell and everything, because there's so much crazy shit going on. We didn't even mention that with with Hassan. I completely forgot. I also forgot to talk about Kanye West. Like this year is just so like ridiculous that when he announced he's running for president, I was kind of just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah right. I'm not gonna get worked up about this. So of course, yes. Yeah. I will. Okay. This is the only thing I'll say about this is that I think people that get too emotional about this and worked up about it. 
uh, need to under- need to watch more pro wrestling because Kanye is someone that understands how, how to work people. If you're familiar with wrestling, you know when you're being worked. Kanye is great at it. That's his whole shtick is working people up like that and, and you know pressing people's buttons and, and doing the exact things that you don't want him to do in order to get people talking. Uh, so yeah, it's a work. It's a work, bro. You just gotta... Yeah. You got to recognize I mean, that and just not get too too emotional about it. You also need to remember that he literally said this exact same thing in 2015 and did yes. not do anything. And all, the filing deadlines for several key states already passed. So even if you like he, what's he going to do? Get <laughs> 2000 or 200,000 signatures in a pandemic in like the next month? No. Just don't ignore it. Ignore it. Right in campaign, baby. And Rest don't assured, if, also, if Biden loses, they will still find a way to blame it on. on <laughs> yeah, right. I've already died. seen people saying it's a Russian. It's a Russian plot. Kanye's debts were paid by a Russian <laughs> oligarch or whatever. And it's like, fuck, you got to stop this. You got to calm down, everybody. Got to relax. Disinformatia on Jesus <laughs> if you play it backwards. Yeah. Oh, boy. So that's all. That's all about that. Thanks, thanks for coming to talk to us, uh, Ken. And uh, we will be right back with Hassan Piker right after this. What have you been playing lately? What, what games have you been playing? Um, recently, I finished The Last of Us 2, which was really good. It's by Naughty Dog. Some of your mm-hmm. viewers oh, might we, know. We spent a lot is, of time talking about it last week. I almost, like, yeah. I almost thought we spent too much time talking about it. Yeah, it was, of <laughs> course, uh, uh, you know, uh, homosexual Sharia postmodernist neo-Marxism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To a, to a T. Like, I mean, this is exactly what... The Nazis. I mean, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson and all of the other uh, <laughs> Republican commentators uh, routinely talked about when they said cultural Bolshevism. I mean, uh, yeah. cultural Marxism. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm only like halfway through the game, but I'm already like significantly more bimbofied than I was previously. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's definitely it's just effect. like my estrogen, my estrogen level spiked um, it, tremendously. It's like it's like HRT. It's basically like HRT. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, so it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to um, to bimbify these conservatives who are, uh, you know, because they're they're just like so masculine and yeah, uh, totally, so aware totally. of our of our wily cutting ways that where we try to. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, they didn't to, used to they, know about this stuff. Now they're just all over it every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first line of defense against uh, the bimbification and therefore <laughs> uh, wholesale destruction of the West is is uh, being uh, fought back. So uh, so. I mean, the first line of defense is just Scott Adams, uh, Sargon of a cause, yes. that quarter pounder guy with a big beard. They're killing it lately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're just uh, they're very excited. <laughs> I think they just I think they get really horny for a, a GamerGate 2.0. So whenever there's like anything that's slightly SJW yeah. related for them, they're like, oh, God, it's back. They're doing it. <laughs> they're the homosexual Marxist agenda. I do find it funny that like all of a sudden this crowd is like very very concerned with like the re- the realism levels and certain feminine body types where it's just like no I'm sorry but in an apocalyptic scenario uh, you'd have to be having this amount of protein per day in order to have that kind of physique and it's like you generally you don't seem to care so much about these kinds of like you know feminine <laughs> properties and whether they're realistic or not I mean these now all of a sudden it's very important to you the same people who are upset about Laura Croft like 
not yeah, being exactly. like or some like, like, at, like or whatever. completely unrealistic like yeah. body type yeah <laughs> exactly yeah now it's very really important it, to take that into account you have to have all that realism the criticisms it. of the game as far as i have uh seen look it, it, i i thought it was a beautiful game i thought it was compelling i, I love the characters that they introduced all of them um but i think like the overwhelming majority of criticism stems from uh i can i spoil it at this point is it has it been no, long no, don't spoil it. i still i'm gonna finish it hopefully okay tonight, well, so don't spoil well it, i'll just say that uh, everyone's upset about one big spoiler because they they love one character uh yeah and, okay. and what happened what to that character to. frustrates them uh to no avail and then the second thing is they just uh, really despise another character because she uh, although she is a uh, cisgender uh hetero uh, female does not conform to the gender expectations like the gender norms you know like she's jacked as fuck and and that it's basically most of the criticism could be reduced to um you know the pacing is a little off uh incredible uh, mechanics incredible fighting mechanics uh, exactly like the last of us one uh incredible visual uh, masterpiece couldn't jerk off to the other character, the female character, so I'm going to give it a 0 out of 10. Yeah, you got me. it. You got it. That's the, yeah. I tried. I tried masturbating to the other character, and I couldn't, and, and now I feel pathetic yeah. and uh, emasculated because this person is larger <laughs> than me. Uh, yeah. 0 out of 10. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> it's good to get your take on that i don't like we spent like probably 15 minutes talking with the last of us last week so i don't even like get into this the weeds on this whole thing it's going to turn yeah. into like a, <laughs> a podcast exclusively about that hey but, that's uh, fine with me i guess yeah, <laughs> yeah. gaming, gaming it was only a matter of time you've just been like insidiously trying to like shift this mm-hmm. into a gaming podcast ever so yeah trying ever so slightly i'm i'm onto this i'm on your plan <laughs> here anyway Hassan, how's it going man uh it's been a couple of weeks well, I guess months. I've lost all concept of time since the last time yeah. you came on the show. Seems like it was like five years ago, but I think only two two months, maybe. Who knows? How's it going over there? How are you doing? Um, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty well. I've just I've been completely lost in the sauce. Like I just all I do is stream every day. Yeah. Uh, usually around eleven hours to thirteen hours a day. I mean everything I do, my entire life is just revolved on the internet. So um it's been right. it's been going all right. I just <laughs> I mean I it got a lot better recently now that I could go back to the gym again, even though they're probably gonna close the gyms again in California because everyone is just like running around sucking face. Uh and and you know not the pandemic's really over. Distancing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, people it's not. people it's just like not. generally feel <laughs> Like uh, the the COVID stuff is is kind of over, or they're kind of over it at this stage. Which, in a weird way, I kind of understand where they're coming from because like it has been really wild that we've just been uh, shut down for so long, and um, you know we've been locked away in our homes for so long. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's like it's definitely a genuine public safety concern. I mean, but anyway, my my situation is all right. I just uh, I have been getting a little. Um, I'm getting cabin fever. Is that the right sure. term? Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 but I'm by myself. So I just like cabin fever by myself. Well, you're not by yourself. You've got your legions of, uh, yeah, you got Twitch. Chat. In, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I have like, yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. That's why I spend like 11 to 13 hours, uh, with them every day. Yeah. Yelling at, yelling at them, which is probably yeah. not healthy. Yeah. I yell at them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes well, I, they deserve it. 
I was going to say, it's like we, I was I was hesitant to have you on this week because I saw you were canceled recently for exploiting the labor of your the, the underclass of your the mm. subreddit, uh, the Hassan subreddit users, exploiting yeah. them for their meme uh, potential. Yeah, of pretty, course. I was pretty upset by seeing some of that, my friend. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, but, it, it started mm-hmm. off when someone was like, Hassan, you're exploiting your editor, which is like every every couple of weeks, there's always like this sort of drama where um, one of my editors said something like, yo, uh, you know, he hasn't really assigned me too many videos or whatever. And then he deleted it very quickly after. And then um, everyone was like, oh, my God, you're like there there are different factions on twitch basically that i, I don't even <laughs> want to get into too much but there's different factions on twitch like there's a neoliberal oh faction that like hates me absolutely despises me and um you know they'll do Chucked. everything they'll just cling on yeah. to anything and everything and they're they pretty What's much make like, like sargon of a cod level arguments but like you know you participate in society yet you wish to yeah. make it better blah 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 like uh that sort of stuff so they they grabbed onto that and then right right as that was happening even though my editor was like no 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 you guys misunderstood like you know there is there is no issue right as that uh right as that was happening i was like you know what i, I my youtube channel uh banner sucks as someone uh pointed out i am going to i'm gonna i'm gonna do a contest within my audience for a youtube banner and uh and you know a fan contest so i was like you know what i'll just give you guys a hundred dollars for the winner too if someone wants it and it was supposed to be like meme banners you know what i mean uh, yeah. memeing is a uh, is a very is a fundamental component of my stream there's an entire subreddit over here. subreddit dedicated to memes on the stream called okay buddy hassan uh it's if you are unfamiliar with like zoomer memes you're you're gonna get brain cancer by immediately turning it on so i suggest you stay away <laughs> from that subreddit if you don't understand zoomer culture or if you're not extremely invested in my stream because every single joke on there is uh is like pointing to it's just derivative of like things that have happened on my stream the day before yeah. or the week before one thing i do find kind of confusing when i look into this the hassan memes every now and then is there's these these memes of like you and your head which is just like the normal oh, size yeah. and it's just basically a normal picture of you and i don't see what's supposed to be funny about it or mm-hmm. i don't really Thank get saying what that the rob uh, i gave rob 40 dollars <laughs> to say that uh jordan is uh is is Jordan can fill you in on that, actually. You know what? Let, let's let's let him describe what those memes are because he participates in them quite frequently. Whatever he's in, the, yeah, whatever he's just, in my just chat. Normal so sized head. It's, I don't uh, understand it, Rob. It's just like it's pictures of Hassan, and you know because his head is is smaller than average, they just like right. kind of point that out. It's not. They don't like they don't edit them or anything. It's just like they just grab screenshots just and kind picture, of just like yeah. highlight the contrast naturally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> now, the meme actually ironically started with like some now banned psycho, uh, like super centrist. I, I forget what his name is. He's like a kangaroo guy or something. I don't know. He's like a total stalker, like okay. uh, who hated the Young Turks and hated me. And he would always say like, your head is so small. And it's because my shoulders are very wide. I have a normal size head, but it does look kind of small, especially when I'm sitting. Right. Uh, in comparison <laughs> to my shoulders. So huh. um, so they right. used to always make like these uh, photoshopped uh, photos. And of course, my my uh, audience found that and then they adopted it. And now they do it nonstop. Like every photo, <laughs> every photo is just like uh, my head is is tiny uh, in the photo. Every photo is photoshopped. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Or so if you I'm ask, like, I'm going to need a source for that claim. But <laughs> what? 
I'm going to need a source for that claim, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll yeah. get to that another time. We'll Still get to that off here. off pod. Yeah, not n- let's not let's not make this about like memes and and. Uh, <laughs> You know, insignificant no, just, things happening in my life. But. No, I know, I know. I just, well, we just wanted to catch up, you know. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I, I just think it's funny to uh, to reconnect with you on this show since the last time we talked because the main thing we talked about it was one of the early episodes of of this program, and I think the main the main debate was going like like you know it was the United States the presidential election. I think the, the what we were really wondering was was Bernie Sanders going to go into the Democratic convention with the plurality of of delegates or was he just going to clinch it before? That was basically the, you know, what what's going to happen? Who knows? It could be either one of these two events. And uh as we know now it did not turn out quite the, the way we were anticipating and now it's like there's this pandemic going on and economic crisis and and uprising against police brutality and the the whole election has taken a kind of a backseat to that and uh it's just it's it's pretty interesting the contrast from from where we were just a few months ago when we were talking about all this stuff yeah um yeah that was those were better times i would go so far as to say that like that I was feeling is pretty good yeah um <laughs> there, there's a really funny meme about this on the internet i recently watched uncut gems but that's like the last sequence of uncut <laughs> yes, gems before yes, like right before where you have yeah. a brief moment of like happiness <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you have a brief moment of happiness followed by uh, just tremendous pain. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and and uh, that's, disaster. That's where yeah. we were. We were like, oh wait, what? Uh, yeah, KG clinched good? the line on the on the betting line. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, and 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 then things were not good, and it's been terrible and disastrous <laughs> ever since. Like it's gotten only worse uh, every single about day. It. I've talked about it before on here, but just like the the spirits in las vegas for the nevada caucus were so high and everyone was just like it's like so so stoked everyone was like super friendly and jovial and everyone was just having a good time and like we everyone went home and just the world went to shit like it just <laughs> imploded from there south carolina yeah. happened the next week and then the pandemic after that and it's just oh, like yeah. we went from ultimate highs to ultimate lows in a week yeah i was i was genuinely depressed um they i think the campaign recently sent me I mean, they, first of all, they sent the merchandising way too late. <laughs> they, yeah. they sent it at the time when, like, some of the merch I got was, like, after the campaign was, like, pretty much over, which was sad in and of itself. <laughs> and then they recently sent me, like, a refund check, I think. I haven't even opened it. Um, oh, did you donate too much? I, I, I think so. I guess so. I, I thought I... Well, I guess technically I did because they, uh, they didn't go into the general. And I was donating for... I just was oh, donating yeah. regardless because I was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like they'll they'll go into the general, you know, so it'll it'll uh, move over, over and yeah. uh, and that didn't happen. Yeah, so wow, baller, <laughs> no baller, baller Hassan. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it was it's devastating. I haven't even opened the refund check yet. I don't know what the hell's going on, but it's sad. I've seen that phenomenon quite a lot, like on Twitter, of people getting their getting their Bernie merch like over the last couple of weeks, just like, oh, great, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy yeah, to have it, this now. Sad, yeah, it the makes poster me feel good came to have this. Really late, the the Public Enemy poster <laughs> came like a couple months later for me. I'm just like, ah, oh, cool. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to even hang this up. So, uh, son, like. We talked about how the election's kind of taking a backseat to everything that's happened right now, but like, where where are you uh, on that? Like, what do you, um, you know, right now, uh, it seems like with the the polling is showing that in spite of like everything that, uh, you know, we've been saying for the last year about this, it it does look like Biden like is in command and is, is on the way to like winning this. 
I'm personally kind of skeptical about this because I remember how certain uh, everyone was that Trump was going to lose in 2016. And obviously that's not what happened. But like, where are you on that? Do you um, what are your feelings on that? Um, I'm terrified. I, I don't know why there is a there is a feeling of of uh, there's a positive feeling that people have right now. And it kind of is reminiscent of like the 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 midway in between uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, like coming to terms with not being able to defeat Hillary Clinton versus uh, Hillary Clinton going up against Donald Trump, where there's like a sense of comfort in the air where people feel like Joe Biden is going to crush Donald Trump. And looking at recent poll numbers and not just national polls, like obviously battleground polls as well, and even individual polls that show uh, Donald Trump's response to coronavirus and Donald Trump's response to the Black Lives Matter protests, like looking at all these poll numbers um, gives everyone a sense of comfort, unlike even uh, the, uh, the 2016 election. Like everyone feels like Joe Biden is going to win, but I'm still terrified. I'm still terrified because I know uh, Joe's, I know that Joe Biden is likely going to mess this up. So that's, that's <laughs> one fear that I have because it's Joe Biden. His, his brain capacity is, is diminished significantly. And I also think that, well, we don't talk um, about Russian conspiracies here, but you know, I hear what you're saying. Wait, oh, oh, I was like, what? Uh, I, I didn't even understand that you were, okay. Yeah, it, it's just Trump is so bad, but like Joe Biden is is the worst possible person that we could have put in, in front of Trump. And obviously you guys know this. I've been saying this for a while as well. It's just, I don't know. I'm still incredibly fearful. Trump has the incumbent's advantage. Joe Biden's significant advantages are obviously that he's not Hillary Clinton, meaning he doesn't have a cottage industry of uh, hatred and even conspiracy theories launched against them for the past 30, 40 years slash very real uh, grievances that uh, that people had with the Clintons. Uh, they don't have as powerfully against the Biden family, even though they are very similar to the Clintons, the Biden family, not as powerful as the Clinton family, but still have done uh, similar uh, kinds of corruption and uh, awful things. But um, Biden is overall uh, known as a regard as a well-liked retail politician uh, prone to gaffes. But uh, Obama's vice president, so everybody likes him. So Biden has a, some strengths over Hillary Clinton, but also some very significant glaring weaknesses over Hillary Clinton, like the fact that he is incapable of forming coherent sentences um, and mm -hmm. also not even showing that he's interested in, in progress or uh, appealing to the progressive base. Like, I, I think that's the most unique part about this, uh, this campaign this time around is that they are not really hiding it. They're just like, yeah, you have no other option. You have to vote for us. And I feel like that creates a really dangerous environment a really a really scary environment for those who uh despite their uh despite their disagreements with the democratic party and no matter how severe they may be still want donald trump out of office because he is a proto-fascist uh and uh and and you know believe in harm reduction or believe that uh change would be even incremental change would be uh, uh better off under a uh more likely under a tr uh, Joe Biden administration than a Trump one. And it's it's just it's just so strange to watch Joe Biden not even lie. Like I kind of find myself begging, uh, like asking Joe Biden's uh, admin, uh, Joe Biden's campaign to just lie. Make it seem like you care. I mean, Obama did it. Why can't you? He was the best at that. Yeah, <laughs> it is wild. It is absolutely wild to me that the uh, the the Biden campaign just does not even have the decency to lie to our faces. And I find that truly unique. 
it's a unique it's a unique complaint and i think they're also foolishly relying on the support of groups like the lincoln project these right-wing oh yeah. trumpers who are clearly just pivoting for personal gain glenn greenwald found and tweeted last night uh the fec statements for that group is spending like over a million dollars so far and most of it is going to you know people they're, they're consultants and people on staff there and very little is actually being spent on independent expenditures or electioneering and things like that. And it's really just a payday. It's a total grift. And to rely on their support, you know, typically as, as politics works, they're going to want something in return eventually. Or they're just going to turn fire on you and demand like you just adhere to their, you know, their their requests or demands in in, uh, in, in public. So I, I think it's going to backfire that they are... Um, they're relying on groups like that, like the like the uh, Lincoln Project and the Bill Crystals of the world, because those guys aren't they don't care about the Democratic Party's health in the long term. They care simply about getting Trump out so they can return to normal on the right. They can go back to the cocktail parties. They can have their positions back in the government or, or lobbying firms and have that cozy relationship with whichever Republican takes office next. The Tom Cottons or the or the Dan Crenshaw's. Yeah, so this is something that I kind of wanted to to touch on um, with you, Hassan, which is that, like, I do, I would never go as far as to predict anything that's going to happen in November or whether there's even going to be an election or what's going to happen. But um, I, I do think, like, Trump is really vulnerable just based on the fact that, you know, in 2016, he was kind of an outsider. And even though, you know, it was obvious that he was full of shit he did kind of have a legitimate critique of the the system the establishment of both parties he was able to kind of position himself and and very correctly point out ways that both parties had been complicit in uh you know things getting really really bad um but now he's the president now he's the one mismanaging like four separate crises at the same time uh you know the economy has been destroyed there's this pandemic happening that's just claimed hundreds of thousands of lives and you have Biden as like the steady hand and people that recognize him. He's not as quite as like uh, widely disliked, like you pointed out, as Hillary was. But it, like you're pointing out, Jordan, it, it like it, it raises a whole set of problems. You know, let's say Biden is able to become the next president of the United States, as unlikely as that might have been, uh, you know, a couple months ago to me. I, I think it's interesting. It's it's kind of difficult to walk that line between pointing out that, yes, it's it's good for Trump and the far right to be rebuked and for them to lose. But now Biden winning poses this challenge where now like it kind of cements the leadership of the, the democratic party establishment and the sort of the liberal establishment in America who just really spent the last several months ruthlessly crushing the left with like every tool at their disposal and kind of taking like a sick pleasure in it at the same time, like <laughs> almost to the level that it was insulting. Um, and, and are empowering people like the Lincoln Project, like like touting the the endorsement of people like George W. Bush and all these neocons. So it's getting to a point where, like, yes, the Democratic Party is in a position to win this election, but it's empowering a whole lot of really uh, not good people. And they might, because these people are a lot more competent than Trump is, uh, you know, they they might be able to wield that power even even uh, more efficiently. So it kind of it creates this whole new situation where it's like, yes, it's good that Trump would would lose in that scenario, but like, wh where does where does the left in America go from there? Because then there's a situation where you know the Democratic Party are, are are in charge, but they've shown no evidence that they plan on offering anything in that direction or 
really responding to this current moment with the level of urgency and the level of kind of radicalism that that the moment demands yeah um no matter what i think it's probably still there's always going to be a need for organizing uh and labor militancy and agitation uh and uh i think that regardless of whether we're under a trump or biden administration uh there is a more coherent leftist movement in this country um largely because of i would say bernie sanders and uh, how much he mainstreamed uh leftism in this country successfully so um unlike the obama administration i feel like there will be a better shot at uh organizing against uh the biden administration from the left and push biden from the left um it's all i don't know maybe i'm too hopeful about that but i I just i feel like as long as we don't give up obviously uh and and continue um continue to agitate continue to organize uh these problems i don't think are going to go away i mean think about it this way under the obama administration the black lives matter protests started right that's when it technically started and um, the Obama administration uh, responded to it. They launched a, a national, uh, they launched a national probe, especially to like these high-interest uh, uh, police departments like Baltimore, Ferguson, uh, if you guys remember. And they found a lot of uh, wrongdoing and a lot of awful things, and it went kind of nowhere. But because of that complacency under the Obama administration, um, we got to the national crisis that we're at now with the uh, George Floyd uh, Black Lives Matter protests that were nationwide as well. Now, the Trump administration has done virtually nothing to squash these protests. As a matter of fact, I would say that they've agitated even further. Uh, a Joe Biden administration would probably do the same exact thing that the uh, the Barack Obama administration did, which is like, you know, uh, say that we're going to uh, fund community policing programs, which is ironic because... That's exactly what uh, progressives or rather the liberals have been saying since the 60s. This is a concept that came around that uh, was responsible for police departments all around the country uh, gaining access to more resources is a consequence of community policing programs that uh, we've been supposedly trying to implement for uh, decades now. And and it doesn't work. So uh, people incorrectly point to like the 2010s and say, oh, this is the same exact uh, a uh, program that Obama had suggested, it goes even beyond that. It's actually even worse than that. It's been around for much longer than that and has been a justification for increasing police funding. So um, at least they're suggesting something. My point is it's that, that suggestion is not going to be enough. And I think we have a uh, better way to organize and agitate and make our demands heard under a Biden administration where they are making complacent moves, taking complacent steps, than under a um, under a uh, Trump administration, a second term. Yeah, one thing I, uh, I I think about, especially with the Obama administration's relationship and and behavior toward uh, the uprisings in Baltimore and Ferguson, is that how long it took them to even make any inroads on this front. And I would say it was completely insubstantial. But at the very last minute, they scaled back just slightly the 1033 program. And that's, you know, the, the military surplus equipment yes. uh, program that goes to the police departments. But then, like, Trump just, you know, reinstituted it <laughs> like, later Wait, on. So can, it's I, like, can I make a funny correction on that, though? I, I sure. find this to be rather hilarious because liberals will always say, like, 
Well, Obama stopped the 1033 program when they uh, have this argument with me. But if you look at expenditure, mm -hmm. um, the 1033 program hit its highest expense in 2014. So right before it was shut down under the Obama administration, the, the, the preceding years that came uh, before the ending of the 1033 program, before Donald Trump reinstituted it, uh, among many other uh, you know, rollbacks on Obama era uh, reforms and executive orders, uh, we hit our highest. Uh, we hit our highest number of military surplus purchases in American police departments so high that we haven't hit that. We haven't hit that peak again under the Trump administration. It was like double the amount of like the first two years under the Trump administration. So while people like to say, you know, Obama really put a stop to this, well, it also hit its peak under Obama as well. Just like the Black Lives Matter <laughs> protest, this started under Barack Obama's administration as well. Just like we know that um, while body cameras were a, a good idea uh, without accountability built into our legislative system, or I mean, sorry, before uh, accountability built into our uh, judicial system, we are never going to be able to enforce uh, police officers uh, and, and the body camera footage. Like we're never going to be able to enforce accountability on police yeah. officers just by way of body cameras because they turn them off. Just like even with Elijah McClain, you hear in that uh, brutal, horrific murder of, of uh, Elijah McClain, you hear one of the officers say, hey, your camera's on. Like, you know, that's crazy to me. Yeah. That's, it's wild to me that there's no punitive measures taken against officers who keep their cameras on. You hear, um, was it the Seattle mayor who said this? Uh, uh, after the first day of protests, uh, she came out and said, you know, Seattle police turn off their body cameras because they care about the privacy of the citizens. <laughs> like that's an that's psychotic that's yeah, you want to die case. you want to die in private hassan even when they don't turn the cameras off i've seen like body camera footage of brutal murders that still did not result in any actual justice for the person being killed or or for the police officer that that committed it so it just yeah. like you said it, if there's no punitive system in place to actually hold them accountable whether there's footage of this stuff or not is like meaningless yeah it's it's so that's not the main problem. The main problem is a lack of accountability. The main problem is the function of the police force and how uh, those in positions of power view our police force uh, and what their sole duty is, what their or what their main duty is, and that is to protect and serve the interests of capital over the interests of uh, the broader public. So that's precisely why they can get away with so much violence on Perfect. not just like unarmed murders, which is what a lot of people talk about because it's the tip of the iceberg, but even routine altercations that escalate to violent yeah. confrontations, which happen on a regular basis. Even if there is no execution or murder, it's still, it's still a part of the brutal, horrific police practices that often goes overlooked. Um, yeah. you know. the, Breonna, the Breonna Taylor case is a perfect example of that intersect, the intersect between capitalist interests in a militarized police. We, the Breonna Taylor's attorneys are now saying that she was killed and the, the, because the warrant they were executing was to clear out a residency or a residential building so they could gentrify it. Yeah, they could gentrify yeah. that block. So that is like a perfect example of how the militarized police on behalf of capitalist interests manifests as violence and in this case murder. I did not even know that. That's crazy. Um, that was just it, yes, it yesterday. Makes it came out. To me, though, I mean, look, this is. Oh yeah, this is what police forces were created to do, and this is uh, functionally what they still continue to do: like um, squash labor rebellions and labor uprisings and any sort of populist movement. 
uh, and and also uh, you know operate as slave catchers or slave patrols for um, freed uh, black men in this country uh, from its from its inception uh, to this day, enforcing redlining and and continuing a the legacy of our uh, awful segregated uh, system. Yeah. It's just what they do, and they do it to white people as well. But uh, white people understand, at the very least, that like uh, cops are doing uh, their job when they um, when they're uh, horrible to poor white people as well, and it's justifiable because they need to do it to the uh, black people that they're afraid of. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It's kind of interesting because one of the one of the main arguments against you know defunding the police and and against you know uh, a lot of these conversations about abolition and and, and stuff like this. Like uh, I saw news that came out of Chicago this weekend, where like there was a there was a lot of gun violence in Chicago this weekend. Like many people were killed, including children, and it, that is really that's a that's a terrible tragedy. But people kind of use that as a way to say, well, what you want to defund the police when like this is what's going on. But I mean, to me, when I hear that argument, I just think, well, these like the there's already heavily militarized police in all these communities. Like the police the police budget in Chicago, I'm sure I don't have the numbers in front of me, but. I'm sure it's astronomical. So I don't see how increasing that and just saying like, oh, if we just toss more millions of dollars and we give them more tanks and assault rifles and we we just continue this like never ending cycle of like uh, basically having military occupations in these communities, that that's somehow going to make the problem better. Like it seems like that that's a direct refutation of the idea that more police equals less violence and less crime. Yeah. I mean, people seek, uh, people try to use uh different correlations like uh like crime decreasing overall uh universally almost like nationwide and even internationally since the 60s and definitely at the the peak of violence in places like new york in the 90s all the way to the early 2000s and now and they try to justify increased police presence but um this overlooks so many other systemic factors and uh and obviously uh is is a I mean, it's, it's total correlation. It's like, uh, it's like saying like every single time, uh, it's like saying like Nick Cage came on the marketplace of ideas and started making movies. And that is a, uh, that is a direct correlation. That is a direct correlation with the drop off of violence overall and violent crime. So it's Nicolas Cage. That's actually, uh, saving, uh, the planet. So there's many different ways that, uh, people try to single out, um, statistics to justify increased police presence. But uh, most of the studies compiled, at least by sociologists or any sort of meta-analysis, indicates that uh, these systemic factors uh, that, that uh, play a significant role in uh, crime decreasing have absolutely nothing w- to do with like police presence, increased police presence. As a matter of fact, increased police presence could lead to an increase in crime or an increase in violent crime even. So we know for a fact that it's not policing, it's systemic factors, socioeconomic conditions, uh, uh, like education opportunities, after school programs. These are these are the real uh, root causes. Uh, these are the real uh, ways to defeat violent crime, and yet uh, people refuse to speak on it because you know America is really draconian and uh, really horrible and really violent. And we have a really violent culture, and, and I think this is truly the way to do it. The, what, what, I mean, one issue that's looking us in the face is uh, you know the impending um, homelessness spike uh, as a result of people being out of work, insufficient uh, unemployment and stimulus funds, uh, states and localities re-implementing 
or I guess removing any safeguard to prevent uh, evictions. And as we've seen that play out in places like Los Angeles, where homelessness has been uh, an issue because of systemic factors, that has been typically met with a police presence and a forceful, um, you know, raising of, of homelessness encampments. Uh, this is something that I think is seriously going to spike. I know Rob has some thoughts on this as well. I'm curious from your perspective in L.A. where this has been an ongoing issue, like I said, because of like high rent prices and, and you know, the, the cost of living out there and insufficient um, safety net programs. As people are still out of work and don't have enough money to survive or pay rent and evictions and cases and eviction processes and proceedings return, we're going to see a bunch of people with no place to live. Um, in a pandemic where, you know, it's going to be unsafe for people to go to just shelters. This is going to manifest something truly ugly and bizarre. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that uh, entirely. I don't, it's a, I mean, there, there's so much, there's so much proof that homelessness is a consequence of being priced out of your uh, housing market and, and not, not, uh, I mean, that's the most significant uh, contributor to homelessness, especially in places like Los Angeles. There's mental health problems and whatnot that also uh, that also play uh, somewhat of a role. But again, these are all issues that we can solve with uh, better social safety nets, uh, offering public housing, decommodifying housing as best as we possibly can in the short term, uh, offering, like I said, public housing to uh, homeless people, uh, implementing uh, some market controls on our exploding housing uh, market. And instead, what does the government do? And by the way, I've said this before about Joe Biden and, and a comparison to Donald Trump as well, is that uh, I believe that the Biden administration would have handled co coronavirus as a crisis differently than the Trump administration. But the legislative outcomes would be exactly the same, whether it was Biden in power or Donald Trump in power. Like uh, we saw the the massive bailouts that we were offering to large corporations would have remained the exact same, at least if you look at uh, recent history. And if you look at what how the Obama administration handled uh, economic crises. So um, while he would have done a better job, not defund the CDC, all this sort of stuff, take it seriously, uh, implement immediate lockdown measures, things like that. Uh, he still would have the, the Biden administration would have done the exact same thing uh, as far as legislation goes with bailouts for large corporations and only twelve hundred dollars for the average American, if they're lucky enough. And that uh, that has a. a, a Tremendous consequences, like horrific consequences on uh, homelessness, even when you consider uh, the housing market potentially correcting itself as a consequence of you know, Airbnb uh, super users that own like numerous properties, for example, no longer being able to uh, no longer being able to to uh, rent out their properties. And, you know, uh, everyone's suffering, even uh, homeowners and, and landlords suffering from uh, this uh, coronavirus uh catastrophe i thought that there would be some form of market correction and and instead what we got is blackrock and uh and numerous other uh, private equity uh owners coming in and basically seizing control of uh, smaller landlords and like pushing them out buying it out um and this is seen as market stabilization rather than uh rather than predatory capitalism do you, yeah. do you see what i'm saying and that's going to keep the prices stable so now we mm -hmm. still have vacant apartments, um, but the, the vacancy is justified because if they weren't vacant, if they were uh, forcibly 
if they were if they were forcibly uh, occupied, if people were placed into those vacant apartments, or if we found a better way to utilize these vacant spaces uh, because of the uh, massive homelessness crisis, even in California, specifically in California, then um, the housing market would readjust. The housing prices would go uh, down, and that's terrifying. You, you can't have that. Just like you can't have the gas prices uh, go down. That's why Trump was doing uh, everything he could to uh, level out the, uh, the gas prices in the beginning of the I, coronavirus pandemic. I saw that story that came out of Finland, I believe, like today or yesterday, about how they basically ended homelessness just by finding apartments for people that didn't have homes and just rehoming them. And, and, and it turns out that, you know, you can actually solve that problem by taking all the, the empty infrastructure that's there and filling it with people that need places to live. And it's actually cheaper in the long run financially than just having this homelessness crisis continually uh, perpetuate. Uh, and it's, it's just amazing that no one ever makes that connection because I guess, especially in, in capitalism, but in America, especially which is like the heart of like capitalist ruthlessness, uh, it's just, there's this kind of punitive F, uh, element to it where it's just like, no, even if, even if it's better for society in the long run, and even if it's literally cheaper in terms of uh, money, we'd still, uh, there's people that are, are making decisions that would rather have this crisis just continually uh, carry on rather yeah, than I mean, just cheaper for literally who? take people and put them in the many, many empty homes that exist uh, that are just sitting there with no one living in them. It's because you got to ask the question, cheaper for who? They're cheaper for overall the entirety of Finland and the Finnish economy. Yes, absolutely. But not better off for landlords and not better off for uh, those who have a stake in uh, the housing market. And that's the reality. And that's exactly what we saw with Medicare for all in the United States. Medicare for all overall is cheaper for America. It's a, it, it yields better healthcare outcomes and it is demonstrably cheaper than the current system that we have, which is uh, marketized. And it would have been infinitely cheaper than the Joe Biden suggestion, which was never talked about. We always talked about the cost of Medicare for all um, and how expensive it was going to be. Except having a public option makes it even more expensive than the current system that we have. And that's the reality. And that is exactly the argument that Republicans are going to use when they wouldn't have been able to use that argument against um, Medicare for all if we were being honest. A public option creates a bloated public system that is going to be stopped or at least significantly drawn back by private interests. Um, and, and ultimately is going to still have the same uh, private market that is increasingly more and more expensive and completely unregulated. And then there's going to be the public program that is bloated and doesn't actually offer the, the comprehensive coverage necessary. So we're going to get the worst of war, uh, both worlds, and that is going to decrease confidence in the government as many Democratic and almost all Republican uh, policies have in the past 40 years, starving the beast will be justified. Yeah. And so like, like what Jordan was, was getting at also is, is we're reaching this very scary moment for America where there's this confluence of crises coming together. You've got the, the pandemic, there's an economic crisis, like millions and millions of people have lost their jobs. There's this, uh, this, this impending, uh, eviction crisis and there's a you know this uh, ongoing uprising against uh, police brutality there are so many different things coming together at this exact moment who knows what's coming around the corner uh, but then to tie it back to the election what it's looking like is like the joe biden administration 
Like, are they going to be the ones to, we know that, that the right and Trump is not going to be able to, but what, what is the reaction of the Biden administration and the democratic party going to be to all these like unprecedented crises? Cause nothing that they've done over the last four years or over the, just even in the, over the last few months consider of the election and this, these, uh, these ongoing, uh, uh, crises indicates that they're really going to respond to this, um, in any kind of a way that's approaching uh, something that's productive. I mean, even when you talk about the Biden's campaign, he's getting to Trump's right on a whole number of issues on like uh, foreign policy. He's saying now Trump is too weak on Venezuela and uh, you know, uh, he's too weak on China and he's, he's even going to, to Trump's right on these foreign policy and imperialist uh, issues. So it's just like, that's the, that's the weird needle that I think people have to thread when thinking about this is that, you know, Trump being on his way to, to losing and the far right losing is uh, is good, but something's kind of interesting happened where, where after 2016, it seemed like the right was ascendant, this like new far right element. They were going to be in charge and have a firm uh, grip on, on every, all levers of power, and the kind of neoliberal center had kind of been defeated and humiliated. But now it looks like they're possibly on the verge of, of retaking power, and it's just... I mean, they, they have to. Every... Know, they're always going to justify their existence. I mean, a third way and, and neoliberal uh, politics in the Democratic Party has been an ongoing uh, effort for the past couple of decades. And they're always, they're always going to justify their existence. It's just the, the politics, the political news industrial complex needs uh, there to be a neoliberal left uh, because their entire lobbying efforts hinges on that. If they were to damage that, then uh, a lot of people would lose their jobs. It's, that's why I, I said this before, but Bernie Sanders presents a much more significant threat to the existence of these sorts of uh, lobbyists, including uh, some liberal favorites even. Like most of the people that you see on MSNBC as contributors that play uh, PR roles on background uh, companies like Comcast and ISPs and numerous other oligopolies, right? Um these people would all lose their jobs if Bernie Sanders was uh, president or they would all find themselves in opposition to the liberal party in that circumstance if Bernie Sanders was president and if he was able to uh, implement his agenda, which uh, many uh, of these uh, political news industrial complex members consider to be radical. So that's why they are always going to justify everything they can. And there is some truth to the sentiment expressed by Chuck Schumer, which were coming to find out which is that unfortunately with the electoral college the way that our system is designed with gerrymandering and all that uh with with voter suppression uh backed by the republican party the people that vote in this country are overwhelmingly white and they are and this is a mostly white country anyway and they're also uh wealthier uh, than the people who don't vote so uh they're not as marginalized so that's why we're going after a smaller and smaller percentage of wealthy whites that do vote and that's not everyone obviously but we're, that's why uh chuck schumer uh correctly i guess pointed out that uh you know for every blue collar voter we lose uh we win uh for every two blue collar voters we lose uh we win what one uh urban white person right isn't that the take that he had in 2016 and we and that failed demonstrably failed uh yeah, in uh like 2016 yeah. but it did kind of work in uh, 2018 and we saw remnants of that in the primaries as well um and and this goes back to what you were saying is like the democratic yep. party if they make yeah, active definitely. and deliberate efforts to appeal to those suburban whites 
uh, that are wealthier and more conservative. And the other foundational base of the Democratic Party is also uh, the black voting bloc that is also older and has more conservative leanings. Then the Democratic Party is no longer uh, the, the Democratic Party that presents itself to the public and instead just a lighter Republican Party, which I think it is already that, but it's becoming more transparently that in an effort to promote itself as that, um, a, a more moderate conservative party uh, against the far-right proto-fascist Republican Party. Yeah, well, this, yeah, this is one thing that I think my perspective can actually add something, even though, you know, people like to get mad at me for talking about this stuff while Canadian. But, um, the, yeah, the Democratic Party, it's a conservative party. It's like a right-wing party, and that's that's the direction they've been moving for the you know for the last 30 40 years but nothing about the last trump about the trump era has has indicated that they're they're interested in deviating from that at all they're on the verge of retaking power using the the electoral strategy that failed in 2016 um and then that's the result and that's that's you know there's a number of reasons that i think it would be better than trump being in charge i think i think another second trump turn would be truly disastrous but you know that's that's the scary thing about this moment, I think, in American history is that is that uh, the Democrats are, are on the verge of retaking power, but have have done nothing uh, except shift to the yeah. right over the last few years. And that sucks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I keep trying to describe to people that these issues are not going to go away uh, unless we have some sort of restitution, like unless we we uh, first even uh, accurately admit that these issues exist to begin with and then uh, try to solve them. But most people don't even want to admit that these issues exist. Now, some people on the Republican side are saying, no, these issues exist. And it's good, actually, <laughs> which is crazy. Like, no, it's it's it totally great that these issues exist. They have to. That's the 1350 rhetoric, pretty much. Um, but on the Democratic side, they are, uh, you know, offering nonsensical solutions like, uh, you know, canceling Aunt Jemima or something, which is uh, is still an injustice if you know about the history of Aunt Jemima. But yeah, it, it's that's not what people are looking for right now. It's just like woke capitalism for a little bit. But yeah, it, it's just yeah, it's, it's very just, superficial. Uh, the response pandering uh, for a a uh, interest uh, for a corporation to remain woke, I guess, and be able to still sell uh, Aunt Jemima uh, maple syrup. <laughs> Yeah, this this current moment is just such a microcosm of the how vapid the liberal approach to these crises is, where you have this like genuine systemic crisis of of racist violence and murder and brutality in the policing system, and and like everything is just okay. We're gonna we're we're getting rid of this product. You don't like this? Uh, we're gonna get rid of all these old sitcom episodes. Uh, there was this kind of problematic episode of Golden Girls that's gone now. So you're right, we're making progress. And it's just so, it's so meaningless. And so it's like an effort to address anything but the actual problem that's there. Uh, because that's, that's, it's so superficial. That's all they have. And if you're in can if you're in Canada again, like this is something you're familiar with. This is just the Justin Trudeau playbook as well, where it's, I'm going to acknowledge that these problems exist and I'm going to, I'm going to use my, my very progressive words to, to describe the ways that these, these systemic issues do exist and we are, we're against it and we're fighting against it. And then with the actual policies that are in place, I'm going to do nothing to actually change any of that. And in fact, I'm going to just continue many of these same policies. Uh, so that's, that's like, that's like the neoliberal world order that, that is like, has been cemented over the last uh, couple of decades. And, um, that's, that's 
going to be the goal, I think, in the 2020s is is moving these people, whether it's in the United States or the UK or Canada, to to no longer accept this kind of like rhetoric, this kind of like uh, liberal sleight of hand where we say one thing, but then continue the exact policies in the other hand. Uh, we're reaching like a breaking point in America, everywhere. We're heading towards this climate crisis, this, this unprecedented confluences of so many different crises are coming together. And, you know, people do really have to realize and come together and finally fucking reject this idea that things are going to improve by by using progressive language and having, you know, woke capitalism, like you said, or, or, or just increased diversity and representation in media. None of this shit is enough. Um, and that's what the 2020s are going to be about, I think, is finally holding some of these these folks to account and hopefully moving beyond this kind of emptiness, because uh, that's that's, I think the best that we can hope for from a Biden administration is just, he's going to sound a lot better. He's not going to be such a belligerent asshole all the time. He's going to, you know, say nice things about these, these different issues, but you know, it's, it's never enough. The action is never enough and it's going to have to become just as unacceptable, uh, this kind of empty rhetoric as Trump's like open or the far right's open, you know, belligerence. And that's what I hope, that's what I hope the 2020s are going to be about. And on top of that, we're going to have just like, ridiculous voter suppression um, further complicating a, an election that's going to be severely impacted by a pandemic. I, I can't, I, I, yeah. I just think for everything we've talked about, I think we, we at least have to state that. that 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 deserves like an episode in itself because it's going to be such a disaster. It's going to be one of the most <laughs> anti-democratic show, elections yeah. in like yeah. world history because we're already so fucking behind the times on elections and, and, and fair process in elections. Yeah. The whole thing now is pretty much worse. illegitimate. If you like, if this was happening, <laughs> okay. if anything over the last uh, four months, if any of this stuff was happening in like a Latin American country with like lithium reserves, it's become a joke because of how cliche this is, but America <laughs> right. would be right there overthrowing the government um, immediately because it's just like, there's no fucking legitimacy. And that's an, actually another reason that I get in, fucking annoyed when, when people like Joe Biden criticize the the government or the electoral process in for, for example venezuela when it's like you you really do not have any uh, leg to stand on when it comes to criticizing any of these other governments because like nothing about this electoral nothing about this election or the oh, united yeah. states electoral system in general Absolutely. is like democratic or legitimate really in any way so <laughs> right well, Hassan, I guess you probably have to go soon, right? You um, get to, yeah, you know, like I, eleven I, hours my, of. I'm looking at my streaming. offline chat currently, and they are already oh saying Azan. <laughs> why have you? Why haven't you started streaming Azan? And now they're throwing up uh, sad emojis. Uh oh. Saying uh, well. cold feet, and that you are, you know, you're not ready to go, and all this sort I'm of stuff. In there. And now Jordan uh, wrote in there actually with his uh, really chill guy. Dang, Hassan, where are you at? Hassan, hurry up. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you should probably get, get over there. You got Dude, your, they look mad. It's waiting for <laughs> you. They're so yeah. sad. We got to yeah. get Hassan to a stream ASAP. Yeah. But anyway. thanks for coming on, man. It was great to reconnect with you and, and talk to you about all this stuff, yeah. Hassan. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, you can find me on my YouTube, which is popping off recently. Uh, Hassan Piker is my uh, YouTube channel or my Twitch, where I'm live every single day from 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, for the next 11 to 13 hours after that, so pretty much all day, at uh, twitch.tv slash hasanabi. That's twitch.tv slash H-A-S-A-N-A-B-I. Thank you for uh, having me, guys. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. 
please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.